Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. We, believers, if we look really carefully with the eyes of the Spirit and through the lens of Scripture, we see the shadow of the cross over that major scene. It was J.I. Packer who said, the Son of God came to seek us where we are in order that he might bring us to be with him where he is. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and The story of the birth of Jesus is one of the most extraordinary examples of humility. God humbled himself and left his throne of divinity to become a baby in a dirty manger to die for sinners. Today, Pastor Ed will be explaining how this historic event of the birth of Jesus proves how great and vast God's love is for us. If you're ever being tempted by the enemy to doubt God's love, just remember the birth and death of Jesus. He didn't have to do it, but he did because he loves you individually. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. Building in Faith. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10, passage where the writer of Hebrews reaches back into the Old Testament, into Psalm 40, and pictures, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a conversation that's going on in heaven between Jesus and his heavenly Father, between the Son of God and the Father. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 10, this passage pictures the conversation before Jesus comes to earth to be born in a manger. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, this is Jesus speaking, here am I, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. Is a quotation now from Psalm number 40. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once and for all. The best possible Christmas gift was given that first Christmas. And if you look very carefully at the manger, you'll see the shadow of the cross. All of you know the difficulty of finding that perfect gift 
for mom, for dad, for your brother, your sister, your husband and wife, for the children. I was talking to one lady in the store. I frequent Starbucks. And so I was talking to the girl behind the counter and she said, oh, this Christmas is going to be so much easier. All my daughter wants is a race car. I thought a race car. Now she meant a little model race car. And so she said, last year it was this and that. So she was relieved that the Christmas list was very small. Well, it's a great thing to give gifts at Christmas. And uh, I like giving them and I like receiving them. Christmas, though, it's more than just giving and exchanging gifts, as good as that may be. Our culture is further and further away from what Christmas is about. I mean, even good films. My, my uh, daughter texted me the other night and she said, Dad, I'm watching a Christmas movie. And I said, yeah, she, Ernest Saves Christmas. <laughs> Well, I guess if you do a search, you'll find a lot of good, funny Christmas movies, and I think they're fine. Uh, Santa Claus, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Elf, The Christmas Story, Home Alone, Ernest Saves Christmas. But even in the classical movies, you really, like it's a wonderful life, or a white Christmas. None of them really convey the real message of what Christmas is all about. I'm sorry to say that even if you pray in the public square, if you pray in public assemblies, they will ask you, don't pray in Jesus' name, don't mention his name, pray a generic prayer. And you see the manger scene being pushed further and further away from the public eye And any vestiges of the reason for the season is being buried in the culture. I think that the prince and the power of this air, the God of this world, is behind what's happening. But we, believers, if we look really carefully with the eyes of the Spirit and through the lens of Scripture, we see the shadow of the cross over that major scene. It was J.I. Packer who said, the Son of God came to seek us where we are in order that he might bring us to be with him where he is. That's what Christmas is all about, God reaching down and lifting us up, making lost children found, part of his family, That's the Christmas story. That's the perfect gift what you and I need, a relationship with God. And it comes through Emmanuel, God with us. This passage of Scripture pictures a heavenly conversation that impacts your life and my life and everyone who would follow Jesus Christ. The Scripture talks about God preparing a perfect body for the Savior. He prepared a body for Christ in verses 5 to 6. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, this is the coming of Jesus to Bethlehem. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. 
With birth offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. What God was saying, a body you've prepared. The Holy Spirit came on Mary, and she conceived a child under the power of God. What an incredible mystery. What an incredible miracle happened. The miracle, the birth of the Son of God. This is what theologians, Bible scholars call the incarnation. It's an important word. It's important for you and I to understand what that is. That's God in the flesh. In Hebrews 10.5, therefore when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. From eternity past, God prepared a body for Jesus. It was a sinless body. It was like Adam and Eve before the fall. It was a miracle of miracles. It was the incarnation. No one had ever been born like that before. This is the first time, only time, that such a miracle was done. And it was intentional and purposeful because Christ was God's perfect gift to humanity. This gift would change the whole world. It would change all of our lives. It was God in the flesh. Now, it's interesting. If you go back in church history, and you go back to the first and the second and the third century, uh, you look at the theological arguments that they had and the uh, fights that they had theologically, they said that Jesus possibly couldn't be a man because they saw his divinity so clearly. But as the centuries moved on and you come to our time, uh, the arguments are more though he was a man, not God. Uh, But Jesus was fully God and fully man, the perfect God-man. It's a mystery. Paul said, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And in John's gospel, he begins, he opens the gospel up with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God walked among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, if you have that part of theology wrong, you have the most essential part wrong. Because without really knowing who Jesus is, you don't have salvation. Uh, You might have warm, fuzzy feelings. Uh, You might have religious emotions. but, But you have to have the right person. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Paul wrote in the book of Colossians, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. His body was absolutely perfect, never tainted with sin, never impacted with sin. He was sinless. Uh, Think of, he never ever spoke a lie. Uh, His heart never pondered vengeful, revengeful attitudes. Never once did he cross the line from obedience to disobedience. He was perfect, 
absolutely perfect. Tom Hewitt said, the incarnation was a necessary means to an end, and the end was putting away of the sin of the world by the offering of the body of Christ. The text, a body you prepare for me, a sacrifice. Jesus was born to die. He came to the world with that purpose in mind. He came with that very objective. He was born with the shadow of the cross over the manger. He came to redeem lost humanity. Jesus had a perfect body, never committed sin, and he was completely, fully obedient to God. Something you and I could never say. His, the obedience of Christ in verse seven, and it's repeated a number of times. Then I said, here am I written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. I've come to do your will, O God. There's something that you and I have in common with every saint that has gone on before. Uh, Whether you look at Moses or Joshua, whether you look at Peter or whether you look at any of the apostles, Peter said to the Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Uh, Whether you look at John Wesley or Augustine, one of the greatest theologians in history, they all have one thing in common. They had to pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus never prayed that prayer. Uh, Psalm 51, Psalm 32, never was the pathway that he found his way to the Father with. He was absolutely sinless. The disciples lived with him. They saw him under pressure. They saw him when he was at his weakest, uh, but yet they recognized there was no sin in him. In verses five to eight to nine, in the New Living Translation, it says this, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became a source of eternal salvation for those who obey him, meaning obey Christ. Jesus Christ, He suffered, and through that path of suffering, he surrendered his will again and again and again to the Father. Now, this has special reference to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from my head. Let this cup pass. Nevertheless, your will be done. So often, our prayers... Our motives are my will, my way. But again and again, Jesus taught us how to live in this world. We are to live saying, thy will be done, not our will be done. Jesus was a model for us, and Jesus showed us how to live in this present evil world, not seeking our own purposes, our own will, our own desire, our own agenda, but surrendering that will to God. And that's what he prayed. He said, Lord, your will be done. Jesus was absolutely sinless. John the apostle who knew him well, who leaned on his bosom, said of him, 
but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him there is no sin. Paul the apostle writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. See, if Jesus had sinned, when he died on the cross, he would be dying for his own sin. But he was sinless. And when he died on the cross, your sins and my sins were nailed to him. And the manger was a shadow of the cross. Jesus came to this world to die for us, to give his life for us. When you think about him being fully God and fully man, a perfect body, a sinless life. He was living that way. He was born that way for the purpose of a sacrifice. He was going to sacrifice his life on Calvary for you and for me. He was going to make it possible for us to have fellowship with God. Because Christ truly was that perfect sacrifice. In verses 8 to 9, it says... First, he said, sacrifices and offering, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. In other words, what God was looking for was not the offering of animals. I mean, that was part of the law, yes. They were to do that, yes. But According to Hebrews 10, 1 to 4, it was a foreshadow. It pointed forward to the greatest sacrifice ever made. It pointed forward to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There Christ sacrificed himself, the perfect sacrifice, without sin. Every lamb, every animal that was sacrificed the sinner would come and the throat of that lamb would be cut. The blood would spill on the altar and that person would recognize that innocent animal is dying because I've sinned. That innocent animal is dying because my sin requires death. But that animal could never pay for man's sin. God was sending a continual message through the generations, through the centuries. One day, I'm going to provide a sacrifice, the Lamb of God, because people never fully obeyed God. Again and again, search the scriptures, whether it's Abraham or whether it's Moses, whether it's Peter or whether it's Paul, whether it's John or whether it's Andrews, whether it's you or whether it's me, we have one thing in common. We're all sinners and we need a substitute. And Jesus is that substitute. He was preparing for that day. Sin condemns the sinner to death. We deserve death. God did not want mere empty ritual. That's what the text is saying in verse 8. For he said, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. What God was saying is, though they were supposed to be a part of the religious worship, what happened 
was people began to substitute them for reality. They began to go through a religious ritual without the reality behind. That's the danger that you and I face. That's the danger that we face as churchgoers. Where we could live lives where we never change, never obey, just it's sort of up here, but maybe it's here in emotions, but, but it hasn't changed us. We just go on being the same, doing the same. And God said, no, that's not the type of worship that I want. Not a worship that's merely ritualistic, not a worship that merely is outward, but a worship that changes people at the core of their hearts, that ignites in them holy obedience to do the will of God. See, because God wants obedience and not sacrifice. He told that to Saul through Samuel the prophet. It doesn't satisfy God that we just come in and sing nice hymns and have a good musical and, and give in the offering and, and, and read our Bibles. No, no, no. It's far, far, far more than that. It's a relationship of obeying God from the core of our hearts. In the very first sacrifices, you could see Abel and Cain. Abel comes and his sacrifice is accepted. And, and it's a sacrifice of a, an animal. Cain comes and it's a sacrifice from the ground. And his sa- sacrifice is rejected. And Hebrews, the author, says the reason is this, because Abel came in faith. He came responding to God's revelation. He came in obedience to God. His attitude was right. And God accepted that. We have to be so careful that we are not merely religious people. We'll fall and slip into the Old Testament sort of mantra. In Amos chapter five, the prophet is broken and God's speaking through this broken prophet to his people. Listen to what God says in chapter five. I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I'll not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice and endless rivers of righteous living. See, that's why Jesus died for us. That we could live lives that God approves of. And not that we earn our salvation, we could never do that. Not that we are sinless, we could never be that. But that Christ is living and reigning in us. And we're moving forward in God. And it's from the heart, not just the head. What God was trying to do in us was this. Do you see the price my son is going to pay? Because for every Old Testament sacrifice that 
offerer, that person who gave that turtle dove or gave that sheep or that oxen, whatever the offering was, and they saw the blood spilled, they would realize the price of their sins. God is saying, I want you to see the price of your sins. He's hanging on the cross. His name is Jesus. And he came to this world in the form of a child in the manger, and he came with the purpose of dying for us. And when we begin to understand that and see that, it changes us to the core. The Christmas season is always a busy time of year. The hustle and bustle to get all of the gifts wrapped and ready. The preparation of the meal where the family gathers to celebrate. It's easy to lose sight of what's most important in this season. We're sharing this special four-part series on the Advent season with hopes that Jesus truly will be the reason for the season. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Building in Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. To stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Building in Faith, subscribe to the Building in Faith podcast. By subscribing, you'll always be up to date with the latest messages. Or, if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Building in Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say Merry Christmas. Your word.